Join Ian Garvey as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world. Reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape your future and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show. Ian Garlic here. And today we are going to talk about marketing to be acquired. We've got an expert in that. She helped Ashley McManus today helped uh, grow Affectiva to be acquired for $76.5 million. I know in this world of billions, that doesn't seem like a lot. That's still a lot of money. Uh, we're going to talk about how she did that, how she grew a summit, how they grew a podcast over 10,000 downloads and how they use customer stories in a unique way when they really couldn't. Uh, Ashley, thanks so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk. And uh, as always, you know, one of the best ways to grow any company and we're going to talk about today is through your customer stories, your client stories. Uh, if you want to learn 50 ways to grow your, your business through sales, marketing, and operations using customer stories, go to videocasestory.com slash 50 ways. All right, Ashley. So tell me, you know, you've been in B2B marketing. We're going to talk about Affectiva, but how did you get into B2B marketing? And then how did you end up at Affectiva? Yeah, definitely. So my, my whole career, I've been, you know, B2B tech marketing, mostly startup space. Uh, so it's a little over 10 years now dating myself, um, but graduated in uh, from Tufts University in 2010. And uh, it was a senior year and it was a marketing course as part of an entrepreneurial leadership minor that I did. And I was like, this is it. This is what I, I need to do. Um, I actually was going to art school at the time, but I knew that I couldn't do the art thing full time. I was more like, I had a creative brain, but I also had kind of like a more practical and pragmatic. So marketing was a really great way to kind of marry those two together. Love it. Yeah. And that's, that was a wise decision. Uh, not, no offense to art. Um, how did you end up in B2B marketing? Cause it is different, right? Than B2C marketing. It's, it's, it's definitely a different mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to say it was more kind of an opportunistic, it was kind of, I fell into it. So uh, another piece of uh, when I graduated, uh, one of our final courses, we could either do an internship and get credit or we could write a paper. So I'm a big let's do experience. And the, the company that I did an internship with, they were uh, a real estate company. It was a real estate website and SEO firm. So they hired me when I graduated. So that, that was kind of how I got started. Um, and then from there, I just, I, I was, I had clients at the time cause we were SEO and this was literally like 12 years ago. So I had to like learn SEO and what it was and what it meant and then advise clients on, on how to best like enact those, those strategies. So that was kind of how I got my foundation. And then from there I was like, okay, this is all well and good, but I think I really want to do marketing for a company versus having, you know, 12 clients that I'm managing at any given time. So from there, that's how I kind of got to the B2B tech. I really do. I'm a personal like technology person and nerd and I enjoy it. So, um, and I just happened to really enjoy the, the different tactics, the different things I was doing, like the partnership marketing, like all, all these different kind of pieces. I, I just enjoyed and I was more drawn to the, the B2B versus the, the B2C space. Love it. And yeah. And what do you see as the biggest difference? 
that you've learned is being a B2B marketer versus B2C? Because I see, you know, a lot of agents, and I know you don't have a whole lot of experience in B2C, but I know you kind of see what happens. And I see a lot of agencies that think that, that do both B2B and B2C. And I think that's a really tough thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I will, I will say that I think there are a lot of similarities that, that you might not necessarily think of and that, yes, I'm selling to businesses, but I'm also selling to people at those businesses versus like a B2C person is very much focused on kind of the end user, the customer, the, the person. So I do think to be a, a good B2B marketer, you need to think about the person on, on the other end of the, the message, right? So in that way, I think they're similar where I think it's a little different. And again, I don't have that much experience with it, but I think B2C is certainly more like I think more retail, I think more like on social media, like a lot of Instagram, Facebook, like learning about all the latest and greatest platforms that these customers, often younger customers are accessing to, you know, discover new brands, new technologies, new content. So I think it's a lot more fast paced versus the, the B2B seems to be, you know, there's only so many ways you can get through to a company and talk to them. You still have to be creative and I'm constantly trying to think of new, new ways and strategies to do that. But that's kind of where I think the, the split happens. Yeah. Yeah, I, definitely. And you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of B2B marketers look to try and bring B2C strategies into B2B and waste a lot of time. <laughs> Are there uh, testing? <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I see testing. It's fine. It's just like it's like, oh, we have to have a Facebook strategy, and I'm like, well, you're marketing to CEOs, and I don't know how much time they're making decisions on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, tell me about Affectiva and what it is, and and what drew you to come to them as a company. Yeah, definitely. So, Affectiva was a startup. It spun out of MIT in 2009. Uh, so they are an emotion AI company. So it's emotional uh, facial recognition. Um, so what they do is, and there's two different units. So the first is media analytics. So they understand uh, consumer emotional ad, uh, responses to video ad content by by finding the face and mapping the the facial movement of the muscles and mapping that to emotions. So and it it all is happening real time. So did people get the joke? Are they firing their brow because they're a little confused about that ad or that story or TV show, whatever. So that's kind of the media analytics space, core part of our business. We're still kind of doing a lot of that now. And the second kind of growth market is more in the automotive space, right? So understanding using our tech, are people paying attention, especially drivers, are they paying attention to the road? Are they looking where they should be? Are they distracted looking at their phones or are they impaired in some way? So are they, you know, um, falling asleep? Are their eyes closed for a, a lot, large amount of time or are they otherwise, you know, have a heart attack? <laughs> like something needs to, we need to be uh, understanding of how these drivers are doing to improve road safety. So those were the, the two primary markets and we were actually acquired for the automotive piece. We were acquired by a company called SmartEye last year and they are, do primarily eye tracking technology. So the eye tracking, facial expressions of emotions were super complimentary. So that's, and we're, we're still in the process of, you know, integrating the companies. How do we work together? How do our technologies work together? How do we message that to the market? So that's kind of where we are and, and how we got there. And then what drew me there, I, I was just super interested in the technology. Again, this was 
like five and a half years ago now. So um, they were a local company as well because they spun out of MIT. I'm based in Boston. Um, I remember looking at their website being totally confused as to what they did. They probably had a video, but they, they're a bunch of brilliant, you know, scientists that just had gobs of text and uh, they just, they needed a little bit of marketing help. So I'm glad I was able to, to come on board and, and be a part of that journey to, to get them where they are today. And so, I mean, it's interesting to me because A, there, I see a couple challenges there that, I, you know, two vastly separate markets. I mean, even though it's the same technology, it's like media analytics and driving technology seem, and I know they work the same, but it, it seems like it's two separate markets. And then also translating science into marketing uh, can be challenging. Uh, you know, how did you address those issues initially and, and figure out which way you're gonna go on a regular basis? Yeah, definitely. And it, 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 it was definitely a journey also to get from, because media analytics was what the company was really started on. So that's where we were. It's still a foundation of our business. But also when I came on, they were doing a lot of like our technology has a lot of applications. Right. So there was like social robots. There was gaming. There's you know so many different ways you could use our tech. So we were kind of exploring all of them. Like automotive was one facet, but like that's kind of a marketing person's worst nightmare. We can't be everything to everybody. We really got to focus. Yeah. So we made the deliberate decision to focus on automotive probably three years ago, four years ago now. Um, so that was definitely cure. But yeah, at the time, you know, how do we market to these different markets? How do we, you know, translate the science and the tech speak into things that other people can understand executive to, you know, technical engineer type person. And I think, um, it, it comes down to product marketing. So really being able to translate the tech speak and then get to the, I like to say the, so what, so, so why do I care about that? Why does this company care about that? Why, what's, what's so valuable and important about what you're trying to tell me? And then being able to translate that, I think is definitely a key marketing skill that I've been honing over the last few years. And what do you find is are the you know the important things that you need to do to be able to make that translation from product to benefit to actually need and you know something something wants? Mm -hmm. Definitely, and that's where I think a lot of the um, like I, I can't do it all by myself as much as I would like to. Um, so I think a lot of collaboration really comes in. So it's with the engineers and the people that are building the stuff, but it's also the, the product managers. It's also the, you know, the executives, even the CEO, even my CMO, like getting people, the stakeholders to really buy into what, what the message is. Are we saying the right message? Is it reflecting what the market needs? So making sure that we're accounting for all of these different, you know, viewpoints and, and hitting the right notes, I think is a, super important piece to really being successful there. And when it comes to, you know, developing that overall strategy, how did you get started? And did you always have acquisition in mind as part of your marketing strategy or was it in the back of your mind? You know, how does that work? Yeah, so I would say it wasn't, I mean, it's always kind of in the back of your mind as a startup because you're thinking, okay, what's kind of what's the exit, but you're not like operating this is our exit. This is what we're, we're shooting for. Right. Um, you want to be successful. So what does success look like? I think is another question that we're 
constantly asking ourselves. Um, you know, we had to raise a number of um, funding rounds to make sure that we could keep the lights on and keep doing the cool stuff that we wanted to do. So I think kind of it was, that was a, yes, acquisition was a long-term probably goal that we had. Like, okay, we're ultimately going to be successful in building the thing we want to do. And when we get to that point, we don't have to worry about the money anymore. Great. Uh, in the meantime, we, we have to deliver on product. We have to raise the money. Um, we have to be a presence in the market. So um, in terms of how do we build a strategy to kind of get there, I would say, you know, as, as a startup, there's lots of kind of competing priorities that we'd really have to negotiate. And when it comes to marketing, I'm always aware of, you know, what, what does the company need right now and how can marketing best support that? Yes, there's long-term goals and we're always going to be thinking about that. You know, getting a, a brand in place, for example, is not an easy, let's get it done in 30 days thing but something we're constantly going to be building towards, but also kind of on the day to day, 30 days, 90 days, first half of the year standpoint, what are priorities? How can marketing support that? And then you go back into all the potential different tactics that really can get you to that, to that point. And then being able to set up a, a framework to measure that success and benchmark it and show progress over time. Gotcha. And, and also, you know, you're talking about framework and, and benchmarking it. You know, how are you balancing results and branding throughout that that time? Because, I mean, obviously you need to get results, but all, you're trying to build a brand as well. And that brand doesn't usually lead to immediate results. Yeah, definitely. And, and brand is definitely one of the more kind of like PR, it's a very squishy thing. Like it's hard to really quantify as much as you possibly can. So we would, we had an amazing PR agency that we worked really close with pretty much since I, I started, like we've had a really close working relationship with them. So I think a PR really helped us shape this as well because how do you measure the success of PR? I think it's very closely related to, to branding, right? So for us, it was looking at we did this thing. How can we measure the success of this thing using any possible tool that we had access to? Right. So like if we put out a press release, for example, that's definitely critical to our brand. How can we measure the reach of that press release? We, there's tools that we can look at that. How can we measure the, the audience that saw this, which you can certainly see using that press release and the, the analytics on the back end. You can look at hits to your website the day that a press release went live. You can look at how many views a social media post got. So it's taking all of the different tools and channels and kind of rolling them up into a single, I think it's helpful to do like a single activity like that because it's less overwhelming versus looking at like every social media performance post you've ever put out ever. I think, you know, showing <laughs> progress over time and, and measuring toward that ultimate like branding goal and what you want to be known for and what you want to stand for, I think is a little more digestible. So what were, uh, what were some of your biggest successes in, initially and overall? What, are, what were you thinking are some of the keys to that led up to down the road, the acquisition, things that you started that maybe you didn't know were going to lead to the acquisition? but really ended, ended up helping. Yeah, definitely. I would say probably the biggest driver would be um, this thing we launched called the Emotion AI Summit, which was a huge conference that we organized. 
So, you know, back when I first started, we were really talking through what do we want to be known for? And we, we coined the term emotion AI because it was something you could fit in a hashtag and it was kind of sounded kind of catchy. So if we wanted to claim thought leadership in that space, why not host the emotion AI summit? So you could claim, you know, this, we were the first to do this. We invited all these thought leaders to come and talk about this topic. And we had this huge conference. It was a single day. Um, we had all these different tracks. Automotive was one, media analytics was one. We invited press, we invited investors. Um, we were really careful about the type of content that was, we were really like, we were curating it, right? So, cause we wanted to make sure that it was all rolling into this, this master topic. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot of planning. It's a conference. I'd never made a, I'd never uh, coordinated a conference before. You do little events as a marketer, but you don't like, this is a, okay, we're doing a conference thing. Um, and the first, the first one was 2017. The last one was 2019. 2020 got canceled because of the pandemic. Um, so yes, you're spending all this time and it was a good part of a year, six months, three months leading up to, it takes a lot of time to get the momentum. But what I didn't think we realized was at the end of it, we had so much content. We recorded every session. How can we repurpose all that time and energy, you know, presentations, recordings? Yeah, we can slap them all behind the landing page and get more downloads and more leads that way. But what if we write a blog? What if we repurpose the the video into a podcast or the audio into a podcast, you know, there was, it just, it just kept going. We were able to really milk it for like another six months after the fact. So, um, took a lot of effort to get there, but the amount and the volume of quality content, again, relating back to that emotion AI thought leader type stance was super helpful in, in getting us to that acquisition point. Um, and with the summit, when, what was the point where you're like, do you remember that, was there something that happened that you were like, oh, this really is working? Because obviously going up to it, you know, run, running events, up until that moment, even during the event, you're freaking out. I, even, I've been at events, I've, I've been events run by the, you know, companies that have run them for 30 years and everyone's freaking out throughout the whole event. Um, so, but there's a point where you're like, oh, this really worked. Do you remember what that was? Yes, I do, because after our last event, and it was right before we raised our last round of funding, um, it was at, it was after the event, because obviously everybody's running around with their hair on fire during an event. Um, knowing that things are going to go wrong, I think definitely helps during an event and just kind of managing it. Um, but it was after the fact, and we were we heard anecdotally from an investor that was sitting in the audience watching it that they really got... Like, oh, we, we have to get involved in this emotion AI thing. Like, this is a thing that we need to be involved in. This is the shape of the future. Like, I'm in. So to us, getting an investor on board as a result of an event that we put on, I think was definitely a, okay, this is working. <laughs> this this hit what we, we wanted it to do. Yes, and that, that obviously is leading to the ultimate goal there. Uh, that's fantastic. And it, when you look back on it, you know, what were th some of the things that, man, I wish I had done more of that. And what were some of the things that you're like, uh, I, I really, I thought this was going to win and, and it didn't. For the, the summit specifically? Or For the summit like specifically. Other... Yeah. 
Um, I wish that maybe we didn't try so hard to um, defy the laws of physics and space because we were like, we, we got so much interest in terms of like speakers and attendees and we were like so stressed about fitting it all into one day. So maybe we could have spread it out a little bit more or <laughs> uh, that would have probably lowered the stress down a little bit. Um, but I mean, in terms of looking back, like everything went really well. Like we were very overprepared. We tried to anticipate every possible issue. Like there wasn't a lot looking back that I'd be like, oh, I wish we did this. Or it was like little things that we always improved on the next year because we did it for three years. Um, sometimes it was, pro maybe it was like promos. Maybe it would have promoted it a different way or to slightly different people. But I mean, no, I, th I think we did. That was a pretty solid, uh, solid effort, I would say. Awesome. Congrats. That's so cool. And, uh, it, you know, because that's difficult. Running events, yeah. uh, small events, difficult. When you do a summit, we did it. You know, we did our Giants of Video Summit, and it, it's just one of those things you don't realize. I think if you knew how much work it is really going into it the first time, you're like, I don't know if I'd have done that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I hear that, definitely. Um, and... But it obviously it led to success for you. So at what point did the podcast come into this? When did you start thinking about the podcast? Yeah, so the podcast was awesome. So we, I had, I just was really into podcasts and I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, can we try this? I thought it would be kind of a fun thing to explore. It was kind of a pet project of mine. And I brought it to my boss. I said, I want to try this. Like, it seems to be something kind of cool that it's relatively low effort, like in terms of all the different things you could do, like you could probably easily, like I'm already interviewing people for like blog posts. What if I just record it and get out into the world and, you know, I'm sure there's an easy way we can do this. And she said, go for it. Cool. It's like, yay. So in 2019, I kicked it off and uh, we called it Affectiva Asks, a human centric AI podcast. And, you know, I just started doing it, started booking guests, started researching as much as I could on launching a podcast and the equipment that you needed. And this is how to shape it. And I listened to a lot of them and like ev with every episode we improved and got better editing software. And then I could see which episodes were doing really well. And then I want to say after the pandemic hit for us, we saw a huge uptick in the amount of downloads and I think it was the episode we launched right after like it was March or March 1st or April 1st so it was right around pandemic shut load shutdown time in 2020 is still our most downloaded episode to date and I don't know like it's hard to know exactly what drove that but you know it was a super interesting person at a super interesting company they promoted it we promoted it you know there was a lot of you know things going on in the world where people were just looking for a connection. So I think a podcast in general kind of took off. So I think it was a right place, right time. And it's continued to see a lot of success as a result of that. And, you know, for me, I, I always had this discussion. I just had Matt Johnson on uh, talking about what, how you gauge podcast success, because it's a lot of it's a relationship, it's content, it's downloads. Um, you know, what was the most unsuccess, uh, unexpected effect of the podcast, especially when it comes to the initial, the ultimate acquisition? I would say the amount of reach that we got, because it was, 
yeah, we were generating content. Yes, we were aligning ourselves with these thought leaders, but you don't really think about after the fact, after a podcast gets published, how can you work with the guest that you had to really get the greatest reach possible? Because all of a sudden you have access to their whole network, their company's network. If I can care package up, okay, here's a social post, here's a graphic with your headshot you look really great in. Can you please promote this? I even, you could just copy and paste it into your, like, so that effort, having a, a system in place, a framework to really like, just copy paste, copy paste, like let's, let's make this, the reach of it, I think was incredibly, like it, it wasn't just a, it'll market itself kind of thing. Like we, we put a lot of effort into the post episode promotions and we saw a huge amount of like visibility and reach and downloads from that. Nice. And did that, and how did that tie into the end acquisition? Was, was there, was there a relationship that was built? Did it get you that visibility? It definitely got us the visibility. I mean, it was one piece of it because there was the podcast. Yes. But there was also, you know, like every blog that we wrote based on a podcast, it was all of these investors, guests, thought leaders, innovators, thinkers that were all tweeting about or posting about or linking to our podcast um there was events that we were at so like it i think it was one piece of the the greater you know acquisition puzzle but i think that you know one of the things that the acquiring company bought us for was our brand and they were just like you're you're everywhere <laughs> like from the summit right. ads to like our podcast like we just can't get away from you. So I think that's, that's probably a measure of I think that's one of the best phrases you can hear that. And <laughs> I feel like you just get me. Those are the two best phrases that you can hear. I think from, you know, someone you're marketing to you're everywhere and you just get me. Uh, <laughs> and now as you're getting closer, at what point did anything ever get like really pushed around the acquisition strategy was marketing then brought into the acquisition strategy like hey we need to do more of this um i think best way to answer your question would be so when we were like announcing our acquisition we had we we were disclosed slightly before it so we could help promote it when it happened so i i think that might be where you're going with it so we were able to kind of apply our marketing machine to get the word out about this this acquisition and how it came about and what does it mean and how do we talk to our clients and partners and potential prospects about it so um in that sense yeah marketing kind of got a real in to to apply all the different tactics and all the different places and and talk about this new joint company in a way that we hadn't before so there was definitely some challenges there but and we're we're still navigating it it only happened like nine months or so ago so yeah it's something that you're, you're constantly trying to figure out and, and do. And there's, again, new technologies, new tactics, new venues to explore. So it's definitely an ongoing process. Nice. And given what you learned, and let's say you went to a all new B2B startup next week, where, what would you, what would you do? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean, would you, would. like, how would you get started? Where would you, yeah, where would you start? Um, so my first thing would be to obviously assess where the company is now and then understand obviously where they want to go to in the future and then identifying the, not necessarily the gaps, but 
what are the, the key milestones we need to, to get there, right? So whether it's hiring, whether it's you know building out like a PR and promotion plan or being really strategic about you know product announcements or partner announcements, like how can we get the cool stuff that we're doing? How can we get that out so more people know about it? Um, and the way we would do it, I'm sure, would depend on the, co the the company and the industry and where we do it and where their customers are and how they think about things and wh what do they care about. I think that will, the tactics will change, but I think that's probably like first 30, 60, 90 days. That's what I would really focus on. Gotcha. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's marketing fundamentals. Uh, and, and speaking of marketing fundamentals, we were talking about case studies and customer stories and obviously... You know, case stories are big to us and client stories are big to us. But you, I mean, you have a sensitivity in your market. You know, when you're working with larger brands, they have very, they're sensitive to you telling their story. How did you all get around that? I mean, did because I'm assuming you were using customer stories and client stories in your marketing. Mm -hmm, definitely. Yeah. So for us, it was, you know, our, our B2B business model was built in such a way where, you know, our customers didn't really want to advertise the fact that they were working with us. Yes, it would be great for us, but not always for them. They don't want to give a competitive advantage away. So for us, we were really challenged with, okay, well, how do we still talk about, you know, all the cool stuff that we're doing? And I think uh, one of the things that we really leaned on was kind of anonymizing, like case studies, user stories, and, and okay, this, this company approached us with X, and this is how we got them to Y. Um, so using kind of broad terms of like a major European OEM, you know, needed help with their technology. So they worked with us and this is how we got them. We got them success. So, um, I think a lot of that, you, you can't only take that so far cause you don't get the brand name of the, the company that, you know, is really working with you, but you get, you get that substantive content that you can then use for you know, future prospecting and, you know, when you're pitching a future client of, you know, this is the stuff that we've done and these are the results that we can back them up with. Um, when you get that far, I think in that, you know, kind of sales process, I think under NDA, you're able to disclose a little bit more of, you know, who the companies are. Um, but that was kind of a way that we would get a little creative in terms of how we would kind of communicate the success there. Another thing we would do was, um, like a podcast is a great example or our blog posts, we would find a thought leader either within a company or very closely associated with a company that was using our tech or that was literally using our tech, but they couldn't really talk about it. We would position it more as um, we would feature that person, but talk more about, well, tell us about some of the cool stuff that you're working on. Or, you know, maybe we couldn't exactly say, we know you're working with Affectiva, we know you're working with SmartEye, but maybe you can tell us about the project that you're working on. And then you, a, a listener or a reader could probably connect the dots. So we were able to align ourselves with that, that name, that person, that brand. Um, so yeah, in, in essence, we had to get a little bit creative, but we could create that story. We create that narrative and then ultimately get to the, the place that we really wanted to be. Love it. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's so crucial to, to demonstrate how you work. Um, especially when you have something as, it's as advanced, I'm sure, as Affectiva and multifaceted and a little bit difficult to comprehend exactly what it does, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You need to be able to, 
I mean, at least for me, I'm not a crazy technical person. I need to be able to like basically understand what's happening and user stories definitely help me get the full picture, right? So I think that can only help our instance uh, wherever the market is. Awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, this has been fantastic. Uh, you know, we, we look forward to following you. We'll put links to the podcast. But if, if someone wants to follow you, um, we'll put a link to your LinkedIn. And you also have a, a personal blog too, correct? I do, yes. I would love to connect on LinkedIn. Ashley McManus, my maiden name is Osgood. Um, so follow me on there, connect with me on there. love to chat. Also, I do have a personal website, ashleyemcmanus.com. I got a blog on there and I've got speaking and podcasts and all that fun stuff. So definitely check that out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for taking Ashley and I on your journey. This has been I and Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video. You know it'll make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads. Better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer? An agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook.